0: Welcome to this podcast from Christchurch London. For more information and resources, please go to christchurchlondon.org. Well, hello! Thank you very much. It is really good to be here with you guys. Um, I've just been from the Stockwell service, and uh, we had a great time over there. Um, as David and Nengi said, that uh, D and I lead the Bethnal Green service together. Uh, It's a real privilege to be part of this church um, and to be leading that service, that community. Uh, If you're ever in East London on Sunday night, do come and check us out. Come and say hi. We'd love to have you. Uh, we're we'll actually be meeting from next week at five o'clock instead of six o'clock. Um, we've been making more and more babies, um, so we're going to help them out a little bit. In fact, um, for those of you who know Jack—not us, by the way— uh, for those of you who know Jack and Fee Wells, uh, this morning I, I got a text to say that their baby daughter has been born. Um, so just great. Our, our family is growing, um, so that was really encouraging. Um, and yeah, and this is the first time I will be speaking at all four services, and it's actually the last time that anyone will be because of our service time change. And because of Saturn starting sometime in the autumn, it will be impossible for one preacher to get around all four services. And I just wanted to say that in case you heard about it after this talk and thought, wow, Joel must have done a terrible job at preaching at all four (laughs) if they decide to scrap it on the back of his talk. But that's not true. It was decided beforehand, uh, despite the quality of the talk you're about to hear. (laughs) Excited? Great. Um, I don't know about you, but I have absolutely loved this series on Ruth. Um, And as I've been preparing to conclude the series, I've just been more and more struck by the fact that this book and this story is is in the Bible. When we think about this story, it was written um, around 3,000 years ago, where the main character would have been one of the lowest of the low in that culture at that time. So the fact that this story has endured this long, I think, is a literary miracle. There is nothing like it, and the legacy of Ruth lives on. And even this short story today has so much wisdom and insight for us to get today. Uh, Dee and I had the amazing opportunity to go to the U.S. earlier this year. Um, if you follow us on Instagram, you'd have been sick of it by the end, I'm sure. Um, but one of the highlights was we got to go to the Redwood uh, Forest National Park. And Redwood trees are some of the biggest trees in the world. There should be a slide uh, behind me. Uh, and it was just amazing to be there, to see the size of these trees. It was, it was breathtaking. It was kind of unbelievable. And this tree here is called the Big Tree, and that is D. You can just make her out there, her yellow coat. And D, as you can see, is a normal height person, so there's no, there's no, there's no scale going on. Um, but it was, it was really humbling, really amazing. Now, if we go to the next slide, that is the size of a red tree seed. And it's kind of almost incomprehensible how a tree that big uh, can come from a seed that small. And the story of Ruth is a little bit like that seed. In isolation, the story could seem like a really great story, but in the grand scale of history, quite small. But the legacy of Ruth has grown and grown to become one of the most significant stories about how God uses people to live out his purposes. And so as we come to the final chapter, the final part of the story of Ruth, we'll see how this remarkable story concludes with a remarkable legacy. And we'll be looking at the aspects of Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz's life that have resulted in them leaving a legacy that is bigger than their own stories. But before we do that, we'll just recap on the story briefly, and then we'll see how it concludes. So the family of Elimelech, Naomi, and their two sons have left Bethlehem. There's a famine, so they've moved to the land of Moab. Uh, but Naomi has returned. She's returned to Israel, but without her husband and her two sons, as they've died in Moab, and has returned with Ruth, who is her Moabite daughter-in-law, instead. And Ruth has pledged her loyalty and commitment and love to Naomi. But Ruth is no ordinary Moabite. She permeates the hesed love of God, a quality of self-sacrificial love that spreads and elicits hesed love in others and then Ruth then finds herself on a field where she's able to pick grain for her and Naomi and the field happens to belong to a man named Boaz who is a relative of Naomi and Elimelech and Boaz is impressed with the kindness and loyalty that Ruth has shown Naomi but Naomi knows that if Ruth is going to have a hope and a future and a life worth living that she would have to let her go she tells Ruth to, to go and propose marriage to Boaz, to no longer be known in the community as a widow withdrawn from society. And this was an incredible act of sacrifice on the part of Naomi. She would have known all too well that by doing this, it would have meant more a loneliness and suffering for her. But because of her love and commitment to Ruth, she sends her away. Now, before we see what happens next, let me just quickly give you a summary of two Jewish laws that are integral to this story. And if you've not listened to Liam's talk from last week, I'd really encourage you to do so. He goes into a lot more detail than I'm about to over these two laws. Uh, But when God's people came to the promised land, the land was split up and uh, divided between families. So two things became really important, lineage and land. The first law was called uh, the Liverite Law, and this was to protect uh, lineage, the problem of lineage. If a man died without an heir, under the Liverite law, his brother was expected to marry the widow, have a child with her, and continue the bloodline of the deceased. And the other law was called the kinsman or guardian-redeemer law, and it addresses the problem of land. If someone had to sell their land, uh, then the nearest relative would buy the land to keep it within that family tribe. And so when Ruth goes to Boaz, she not only proposes marriage, but but she asks him to be the guardian-redeemer for both the land and the lineage providing the family of Elimelech and Naomi with an heir. And there was no precedent for combining these two laws. But Ruth sees the heart of the law. She sees what's beneath it. And it's intended to instill a quality of love in God's people that favours the other, that works for the good of those in need, even when it comes at great sacrifice. Sacrifice summed up in the hesed love of God. And so Ruth challenges Boaz to be the guardian redeemer. But Boaz is not the closest relative and so cannot legally act as the guardian redeemer. And so he goes and finds the nearest relative uh, to see whether he will redeem the family and promises Ruth that if the closer relative is unwilling to, he will step in. And then so we get to chapter 4, the last chapter of the book of Ruth, where the story concludes and Ruth's legacy is established. So let's read from verses 1 through to 12. And the words will be on the screen behind me. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, "'Come over here, my friend, and sit down.' So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, "'Sit here,' and they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, "'Naomi, who has come back from Moab, "'is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. "'I thought I should bring the matter to your attention "'and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here "'and in the presence of the elders of my people. "'If you will redeem it, do so. "'But if you will not, tell me, so I will know, "'for no one has the right to do it except you, "'and I am next in line.' "'I will redeem it,' he said." So let me just pause here. Initially, Boaz tells the relative that the land is available, it's yours, go redeem it. And this is a great financial situation for the relative. He stands to inherit more land for himself and for his own family. And then on to verse 5. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. And so this is the point where the real commitment and sacrifice comes in. As we've seen, these laws are about lineage and land. And this nameless relative was willing to redeem the land, but now Boaz is telling him that he must also redeem the lineage, acting on behalf of Elimelech and provide him with an heir. And it means that rather than this nameless relative's children inheriting the land, it would go to the child of Ruth, the heir of Elimelech. Let's keep reading from verse 6. At this the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself, I cannot do it. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. Uh, we've just sold and bought a flat, and it took two and a half years to sell and buy. And this is just like, if only it was that simple to buy property uh, at that time. So the guardian redeemer said to, uh, so to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. It's just so easy. Uh, then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all of the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Marlon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Marlon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home, like Rachel and Leah, who, built up, who together built up the family of Israel, May you have standing in Ephratah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. And so in this part of the story, we have two contrasting characters. We have Boaz, and we have this nameless relative, which I think in itself is actually hugely significant. When we think about the legacy of this story, we're thinking about the lives of real people, of Ruth, of Naomi, and of Boaz, yet we don't know the name of this relative. The nameless relative was prepared to step out when it was good for him, when there was no risk of financial trouble, where there was no sacrifice to be made. His motivation was purely about what was good for him and not what was good for the most vulnerable and powerless. And I find it really interesting that in the book of Ruth, often the reputation of Naomi and Ruth preceded them. People already know about them. And you can imagine in Bethlehem, it wasn't a big city like London. I mean, some of us barely know the names of our neighbours But in Bethlehem, when they left, people undoubtedly would have known about it, particularly as they went to Moab, which historically is an enemy of Israel. So people probably gossiped about it, I'm sure. And so when they returned, with Naomi returning without her husband or her two sons, but with a Moabite woman instead, people undoubtedly would have talked about that too. And we know that before Ruth finds herself on the field of Boaz, the people of Bethlehem, even Boaz at that point, have done nothing to help them. Perhaps they thought they deserved it for leaving Bethlehem during the famine, or maybe they didn't even think about helping. But the nameless relative who almost certainly would have known about Naomi and Ruth and would have known that he was the guardian redeemer was perhaps waiting for Naomi to die so that he could inherit the land. But his hand is forced by Boaz, who is prepared to risk his own financial security in order to redeem the lives of two of the most vulnerable people in that culture at that time. When Ruth calls Boaz to a higher standard, not just to marry her and provide safety and a future for her, but to include the land and lineage of Elimelech in her proposal, she is calling the powerful to account, to act. And as a result in this story, Boaz goes from being a good man to a great man. We do not know the name of the man that would not redeem Naomi and Ruth completely, but we know the name of Boaz. And the story of what Boaz did has been praised for thousands of years, but not the nameless relative. He goes down in history as a coward, unprepared to sacrifice his own wealth on behalf of others. The story of Boaz lives on, but it was because Ruth stepped in and challenged him to act. And when we look at Ruth, all of her actions were based on faith in the God of Hesed love. It permeates her character. She did not know how this story was going to end. And so many of the great characters in the Bible have a clear promise from God, either for something specific or just a general promise that he is with them. Abraham had the promise of a child when he was well into old age. Moses had a promise that God was with him and would help him free the Israelites from slavery. But Ruth had no such promise. It's almost like the men needed a bit of a kick, but the women just get on with it. It uh, sounds, sounds strangely familiar. Uh, but all Ruth had to rely on was her character in the faith. and her char- all, all Ruth had to rely on was her faith in the character of God. She saw the letter behind the law and lived in a way that reflected that, with committed faith in him. Ruth and Boaz show incredible commitment and sacrifice, but it stems from who they believe their God to be, a God who is the creator of Hesed love. And they challenge us now to live a higher level of commitment, sacrifice, and faith. And so we come to the bit where Ruth and Naomi are redeemed, and the redemption of the land and lineage of Elimelech. And let's just continue the story and read verses 13 to 17. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David." Through the commitment and sacrifice of Ruth, Naomi's life is completely restored, and we see a remarkable change in her. In chapter 1, when she returns to Israel, returns to Bethlehem, she tells the woman of the town to call her Mara, which literally means grief. It defined who she was. It was her name, and it was her identity. And now we see the complete restoration of her family and of her world. And for people reading this story, particularly at the time it was written, which was probably around the time of David, The conclusion is where the significance of this story really comes to the forefront. Ruth and Boaz are no ordinary couple because their son was Obed, the father of Jesse, the father of David, the greatest king of Israel. David is part of the legacy of Ruth. And the legacy that she has left is truly remarkable. And what's even more impressive about Ruth is that she was able to rise above her cultural identity and create a legacy that went beyond that. Because identity and legacy are completely woven together. They are inseparable. What we want our legacy to be is wrapped up in what we see as our identity. If our identity is in our beauty, then we will want to be known and remembered as beautiful. If it's in our work, then we will want to be known and remembered for all of our achievements, maybe our financial success, maybe our fame. Or if our identity is in our family, then we want to make sure by whatever means possible that they achieve everything we want them to But the big problem with this comes when we're either successful or unsuccessful. When we're successful in life, if we're not careful, we can begin to idolize our achievements and the legacy we've brought to the world. Like the unnamed relative who was unprepared to step out and risk his wealth, security, or the legacy that he would leave to his own children, it can stop us from doing the right thing and living the hesed way of life. And if we fail, we can be crushed as we don't live up to the standard that we think we should if our identity is in God, it keeps our victories in perspective and our failures don't define who we are. And we've seen this with Ruth. Even when her life did not go the way she had planned or would have wanted to or hoped for, she did not let it define who she was. And because of that, she was able to keep on living the Hesed way of life. And if our identity is in God, the God of Hesed love, then our legacy will be part of his story. Ruth and Boaz were caught up in a story that was bigger than their own, and God used them to achieve his purposes. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to lay down our own agenda and be swept up into a bigger story? And in this last section, the elders pray that Ruth the Moabite would be like Leah and Rachel, the mothers of the 12 tribes of Israel, which is just an astounding thing to say. And then by the women in the town, she is described as being better than seven sons to Naomi. And it's easy to lose the weight of, of this Uh, because our culture is so different. And so whenever we read the Bible, we always must try and understand the historical context as what it's uh, it's written. And the author of the book clearly agrees with this because of the bit where the, the kind of sandal transaction, even three or four generations, that had lost its kind of meaning or cultural significance, so felt that it was necessary to explain that bit. And it's the same here. There could not have been higher praise for Ruth. Seven was the perfect, complete number, And if you wanted power and security and wealth in that time, then you wanted sons. And so to say that Ruth is greater than Naomi than seven sons, if you didn't get it before, it hammers home just how remarkable what Ruth was able to do for Naomi. Her identity was not built on her gender, on her nationality, her social status, or anything other than the God of hesed love. And an old rabbinic prayer, not in the Bible, but that was prayed just reinforces just how difficult it would have been for Ruth in the culture at that time. They would pray, blessed are you, O God, King of the universe, who has not made me a Gentile, a slave, and a woman. And this just shows how hard it would have been for her. And so it is remarkable that she was able to rise so high above her cultural identity. And she did so because her identity was in the God of Hesed, love. God's purposes came to fruition through a woman the world tried to forget. And this should give us so much confidence. Often when we think about legacy, our minds go to the greats of history. Legacy is often associated with the great and powerful. And yet God, using Ruth, Boaz, and Naomi, showed that in God's plan, everyone can contribute. It doesn't matter what the world thinks you have or even what you think you have to contribute. God wants to use you. And as I was thinking about my, uh, or thinking about legacy, particularly when it comes to ancestry, my mind went to my own family. And one story in particular, Uh, my granddad was an old uh, World War II veteran veteran. Uh, he came from a very poor background. Had a few jobs, was a caretaker, um, a carer—nothing you would call a career in his lifetime. He died around about 10 years ago, um, and I remember at his funeral, uh, a family friend was giving the eulogy, and it wasn't the stories of his heroics in the ward that shaped his achievements or or his legacy or what he did for a job or anything else. For her, his legacy was built on something else, and it was summed up in the first time that they met. Uh, she was going to church, she hadn't been before, and had no idea what to expect. And the first thing she saw as she was walking up to church was my granddad smiling. He was on the welcome team and had the weekly newsletter ready to hand out and welcome people in at the door. And that moment just stuck in her memory because it was that moment as someone nervous and not sure what to expect felt the love and warmth that my granddad had. He radiated God's love for people through his welcome and she caught a glimpse of that. He never preached. He never led worship. He wasn't rich. He wasn't famous. And yet, he, and yet God was able to use him because he was willing to be used by God and used the simple abilities to smile, to serve, and to welcome, to leave a legacy. And that was over 30 years ago, and she's still part of that community to this day. If you think you're not talented enough or rich enough or smart enough or beautiful enough to be used by God and leave a legacy, then you haven't fully realized what it takes to be used in the kingdom of God. All Ruth had, literally all she had, was her faith in the God of Hesed love and her commitment to and sacrifice for him and the people that she loved. God wants to use you. He wants to use you as part of his story, the legacy of the kingdom of God. Are you ready to play your part? And if you're exploring faith today, you may be coming with questions, and one might be, well, what do I get if I become a follower of Jesus? And I just encourage you maybe to frame it slightly differently or ask a different question. Instead, I would ask, what what legacy do I get to play a part in? Because when we choose to follow Jesus, the, the combination of our hearts longing to leave a meaningful legacy and our search for identity is completely fulfilled. We find that our legacy is caught up in a bigger story, and so we look at what we can achieve in this life in a different way. Instead of how do I do enough or be enough to leave a mark on the world, instead it becomes how do I contribute to the legacy of Jesus? in the story that is already being told, to play my part in seeing the renewal of this world. And then because I'm part of this bigger story, my identity is not crushed if I don't achieve all that I think I should achieve, or I don't inflate my own sense of self-importance if I'm successful, because my identity is that I'm a follower of Jesus, a child in God's family. And I like, like to think that David commissioned this story himself, the story of Ruth. He knew the spiritual heritage that he had, And the legacy of the ones that came before him and knew that the story needed to be told. And Caroline Custis James, in her brilliant commentary, The Gospel of Ruth, and if you've enjoyed this series, I'd really encourage you to read that book. um, She puts it so beautifully. She says this, From the mother who gave him birth, Obed will inherit a caliber of faith in Yahweh that doesn't easily give up. No matter how daunting the obstacles, no matter how impossible the odds, the courageous blood of a risk-taker runs through his veins. With a mother like that, it shouldn't surprise anyone to hear of Obed's grandson standing up to a giant warrior armed with only a slingshot and five small stones. Obed will hear lessons of his head, lessons learned in the blackout days of Naomi's despair. Bedtime stories of family history and of her own confusing walk with God will lodge in Obed's heart. He will pass Naomi's teachings on to his son Jesse, who will one day father a son named David, who will absorb her wisdom too. And long after Naomi is gone, the Bethlehem hillside will echo with the music of a young shepherd poet as he worships Yahweh for his hesed. Surely your goodness and unfailing love, hesed, will pursue me all the days of my life. Truth passed down from one generation to the next that the future king will rely on in days to come. The story of Ruth shows that how we, how we live our life now, how God calls us to live our life, not only impacts the present, but can leave a legacy for generations. And the enduring legacy of Ruth is hesed, love. Through two laws that were intended to protect and restore the most vulnerable, hesed love was able to be passed down from generation to generation where it reached David, a man after God's own heart and the writer of the greatest worship or hesed poetry that we have. But there's also this interesting ambiguity in the prayer that women pray in verses 14 and 15. I'm not sure if you you spotted it, but it says this, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. So we know that the legal redeemer in this story was Boaz. But here the women are describing the son as the redeemer, which legally didn't make any sense at all. And we don't really know exactly why this is the case, but it's, it's profound and it's almost prophetic in its inclusion. Ultimately, it would be a distant son of Ruth who would become the redeemer not just of Naomi, but of all humanity. Through land and lineage passed down, we will get to Jesus. And the start of the Gospel of Matthew shows the lineage from Ruth and Boaz all the way to Jesus. The story of Ruth is a story that ultimately leads to him, in whose own life we see parallels with his own ancestors. Jesus knew the suffering, the commitment, and the sacrifice that Naomi and Ruth experienced. And he knew, like Boaz, what it felt like to give up his power in order to redeem the most vulnerable. Ultimately, we see the commitment and sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, fiercely committed to us, so much so that he would give up his own life. He would give up his own power to free us from a life of brokenness and death. In the kingdom of God, we are called to live like Jesus, Hesed, love, personified. And the old rabbinic prayer that they prayed, thanking God that they weren't a a, a Gentile, a woman, or a slave, it gets turned on its head in the kingdom of God, with Paul responding directly to it in Galatians. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The gospel smashes the cultural barriers that, that we put on ourselves, and he asks us to place our identity in Christ Jesus. The story of Ruth begins with the grief of Naomi and ends with the baby in her arms. It is a beautiful picture of restoration, of the joy of a renewed life and hope for the future. It's a picture of the gospel fulfilled in Jesus. And it's through our faith in him that we can become part of a bigger story, a bigger legacy. If the band want to come back up, that would be great. So how are we to live in light of this book? Uh, you might be thinking that to talk about legacy is a little bit premature, maybe for you individually or for us as a church, But from the story of Ruth, we know that her legacy was built on the way she chose to live her life. And so often, legacy comes up at the end of a chapter, but that is the wrong time to think about it. Your legacy is already made up because it is built on the way you've lived throughout your life. Ruth's legacy came from an early commitment to living the Hesed way, an understanding of how God intended and intends our world to be, and a commitment to be part of that, whatever the sacrifice. And you might feel like... What you have in your hands is a small seed. But God takes our small offering and makes it part of something bigger and longer lasting than we can do on our own. Just like with Naomi holding her small seed, the baby Obed, whose family tree would ultimately lead to Jesus. And one of the things that has really struck me about this is the part that Bethlehem plays in the story of Israel. It's where this story plays out. It's where David was born and raised and ultimately where Jesus, the Son of God, is born, and it makes me think of the spiritual heritage of London. So many of the great revival stories that happened and started in this city. John Wesley, the father of the Methodist Church and one of the greatest preachers this country has produced, had a renewed experience of God just up the road, literally five-minute walk on Aldersgate Street. And there's a plaque outside the door and a statue in the garden of St Paul's. And in East London, on Mile End Road, five minutes from where Dean and I live, from where our service meets. There are statues of Catherine and William Booth who started the Salvation Army and saw thousands of people come to faith here in London. We live in a city with rich spiritual heritage and our dream and prayer is for a great renewal again in our time. And as a church, we are deeply committed to London. We are working, praying and hoping to see renewal in every area of the city. But if we're to see the transformation of London, it's going to come through people full of faith in the God of Hesed, love, committed to and prepared to sacrifice for the God of Hesed love. And it will take time. There were generations from Ruth to David and even more from David to Jesus. It will take patience. It will take a lot of prayer and reliance on God. But that is in our heart. And I'd really encourage you just over this week to think about what story do you want to play a part in? What legacy do you want to leave? If we're going to see the renewal of the city, it's going to take people committed to Hesed love and committed not just to taking what the city has to offer, but contributing to it as well. People who have made a decision early on to live differently with their identity firmly in Jesus. And I'm just going to pray that if we're to be Hesed love to this city, that we would know God's Hesed love for us even more. That we don't need to look to anything other than to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit working in us and through us will bless this city with Hesed love. Grow the small seed that we have into something remarkable. And some of you may be thinking that I've been committed and I've been prepared to sacrifice for years but nothing has happened yet or I've not seen the fruit that I want. But I just encourage you just like Ruth that your identity is in God not in your achievements and we are all playing a bit part in a bigger story one that doesn't rely on our successes or fall apart if we fail and some of us may not see the legacy that we leave but just like Ruth and Boaz have faith in the God of hesed love and. I don't know about you, but knowing that I'm part of this bigger story just gives me such a sense of peace that it doesn't rely on me, that we together in this central service, Bethnal Green, Stockwell, Covent Garden, Sutton, that we're together playing our part in a bigger story. And all the churches in London and this country are playing our part in the legacy of the kingdom of God. And that just gives me such a sense of peace, but also excitement that we are in this together playing our part in the legacy of the kingdom of God. So I'm just going to pray for us, if you'd like to stand, and then we'll, we'll worship. God, thank you so much for this remarkable story. Thank you so much for the lives of Naomi, Boaz, and Ruth. Help us to live like Ruth, who despite the unbelievable odds against her, called a whole community to a higher form of Hesed love. Help us to live like Boaz, who laid aside all of the authority and privilege that he had to lift up those who were powerless. And help us to live like you, Jesus, Hesed love, personified. Thank you that because of your commitment and sacrifice for us, we can have a life of freedom and, like Naomi, renewed hope in the future. Thank you that we are part of a bigger story, and thank you that we all have a part to play. Lord, we want to see your kingdom come in this city. And I would ask that all we know, that we would all know, in a deeper and greater sense than ever before, your Hesed love for us, so we can bless this city with your Hesed love. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information or for further podcasts and downloads, please visit ChristChurchLondon.org.